You're listening to Trek FM. Want to join in the conversation and share your thoughts on this episode? Join the Babel Conference, our listeners' discussion group on Facebook. Just type B-A-B-E-L into the Facebook search field, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. Hello and welcome to TFM's local watering hole. Um, I'm just one of the hosts here, Matthew Rushing, and very excited to be here for a special episode as uh, we're continuing in the new series for the Star Wars books, The High Republic. And this time we're going to be talking about a test of courage. And uh, to do that, I brought in a very special guest, none other than Aaron Goins from... The incredible podcast, Star Wars Bookworms. So we have an aficionado here with us today. Aaron, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Matt. Thank you for having me again. Yeah, yeah. What My favorite thing about having you on is that you never want to talk about, like, the big book. <laughs> you always enjoy talking about the ones that people might miss or aren't going to be maybe quote-unquote as excited about, but you're excited to talk about those, and that makes it really nice when, uh, you know, we're trying to cover the books, and I always know who to go to, so this is fantastic. That's true. I think I think the last time I was on, we, we reviewed Force Collector, which yeah, is not really which a... which was a pretty good yeah, book. Yeah, I mean, it was a good book, but I don't think most people would even know that's a Star Wars book. <laughs> Probably, I mean, you know, they might not have, but they know because of us, and so uh, we're... Going to be excited to, uh, you know, dive into this series. And, of course, you've heard us talk about Light of the Jedi, and so we're on to the second book now. And um, before we uh, dive into to talking about the story and everything, just a quick reminder, of course, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, make sure uh, you are over on Apple Podcasts. If you are, please do give us a star rating review. That may, really helps the show grow. Uh, but also... Of course, you can uh, find us wherever you get your podcasts. Just make your sh- sure you're subscribed, and that way you'll get the show as soon as it drops. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you can find us all over the place. We're on Twitter, at The 602 Club. And then, of course, we're on uh, Instagram, at The 602 Club TFM. Uh, you can find us online, at Trek FM, or on Facebook, at facebook.com slash Trek FM. They're the listeners-only discussion group you can join and talk to listeners from all over and then I uh, want to say a huge thank you, of course, to our associate producers through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson, Ryan Millett, and Daniel Noah. Uh, they make sure that everything we do here on the network keeps coming to you each and every week. So please make sure to go over to patreon.com slash FM and see how you can be part of the team. Uh, honestly, uh, it, we definitely need your help. Uh, it's a lot of money to put this together. And so uh, you keep it coming, uh, listeners just like you. So again, that's Patreon dot com slash trek fm so aaron uh you weren't with us obviously when we talked about light of the jedi so i'm just kind of interested uh even before we get into this book uh what was your excitement level coming into the high republic as because obviously you're a huge star wars fan and you're a huge star wars books fan i was very excited for this this is kind of something i've been waiting for with the new i guess new canon new eu um, with, you know, I was a big fan of legends and so they had kind of gone all over the place with legends. They had 
covered stories in the old Republic. They'd covered stories post Return of the Jedi. We had ha- we had everything we could ever want, maybe too much, some would say. So when it came to the new canon, it seemed like they were really staying really close by the the original characters and a lot of the characters that we knew or the new characters that they had introduced with the you know new trilogy. So I was ready for something that kind of went a little further away from those characters. And so when High Republic was announced, I was like, oh, this is kind of right up my alley. Plus, I'm a big fan of the Jedi. I love the Force, you know, Jedi, Sith, you know, any of that type of lore around kind of the Force and how it all works and how it all connects. I'm just really into that. So the idea of this, you know, give me this every day over an X-Wing novel. Yeah, I mean, I I'm, I think... We're pretty similar in that, you know, obviously I loved uh, the old EU and was a big fan of it, you know, all the way from 91 onwards. You know, I, I, <laughs> I've told the story before about, you know, I, I remember seeing Heir to the Jedi in the Walden books and just being like, I must have this. Uh, not Heir to the Jedi, Heir to the Empire, excuse me. Uh, Heir to the Jedi is a, a totally, totally different book <laughs> and, and, and a terrible not a one great that. book, yeah. Um, yeah, so... um. Yeah, I mean, I I'm right there with you, being excited about diving into this, and so um, I one of the interesting things, just kind of timeline wise, that's fascinating about this book is that if you've read Light of the Jedi, this book actually kind of takes place in the same time period. Um, you've had the the big uh, accident and the emergences happening, and some some of those stories already going on, and so this book actually takes place right in the middle of that. And ends at the same place that Light of the Jedi does, which is the dedication of the temple. Uh, well, not really the temple, but the uh, space station. Um, and so, um, to me, that uh, that was really interesting as a way for them to introduce this story to everyone. Um, but, uh, so, you mentioned, Aaron, obviously huge fan of the Jedi, which we both are, uh, I think, uh, of our friends, we are probably the the ones that maybe love the Jedi the most. And so I really thought that there was a ton of stuff in this book. Uh, and there are little, like, snippets here and there where we really do kind of learn a lot about the Jedi in this time period. I mean, one of the most fascinating things was that, you know, uh, Vanestra, uh, one of our main characters here, who is a brand new Jedi, she's 16 years old and she's become a Jedi Knight, um, she wasn't trained on Coruscant at the temple there. She was trained on this this other temple uh, at Henestra, or Henestia, I think you might say it. So that, to me, was really interesting is we, we learned that there are a lot more temples all around the galaxy that the Jedi are using, like, you know, the ones we might have run in on Lothal and Rebels and those kind of things. Like, these were actually places where Jedi didn't have to go to Coruscant to be trained. They could be trained, you know, almost wherever they were found, it seemed like. Right, yeah. And this era is an era that we haven't really seen before. Um, I think it's supposed to be like 200 years before Yavin type of thing. I'm a little confused as to what all fits within what they're considering the High Republic because it almost seems like it goes right up to the prequels in a way. I had seen they had even put Master and Apprentice in kind of in the High Republic era, if you look at the Del Rey timeline. So I guess that's kind of toward the end of the High Republic era. So it does seem similar, 
to what we're getting in the prequel era Jedi in that, you know, the way that they function with the Padawans and the Masters and the Knights and doesn't seem too different. Not like something that maybe like Legends where when you go back into the Old Republic, it's almost like a different, you know, everything's completely different in how everything functions. And there's still Sith running around and all that. Here it feels like we're close enough to what we know that um, it, it does seem very familiar. Although the idea of there being these different temples is is new, at least active temples. So you kind of almost wonder, well, what happened? What happened to these, you know, these other temples if they were if they were kind of running these these temples, you know, within a couple hundred years of of uh, the prequels. Honestly, yeah, I mean, there's quite a few questions that I have about that after reading the the first two books in the series, because there is so much about this where, you know, uh, the even just the way that the Jedi interact with the Republic and them not necessarily being, you know, an arm of the Republic they they work with, but they, you know, they don't have a specific, they don't answer to the Chancellor or anything like that, the, the way we see in the prequels and so I, there's so much I feel like for them to explore here and I, I I I love the idea that the Jedi were not quite as centralized in the sense that like you know we feel like in the prequels everything spreads from Coruscant you know whereas this felt much more like the Jedi set up these temples all over the galaxy as a way to to not only make sure that they aren't so, you know, like almost like mono focused into one place, but that they're everywhere uh, and it gives them maybe a better perspective on the galaxy because there are more places where people are being trained um, and that allows you to have more variety in the Jedi, even in, in their perspectives, too. Yeah, and it seems like the Jedi just aren't, since they're not connected to the maybe the overall government of the Republic, that they're not going to be central to Coruscant. Um, I didn't read Light of the Jedi yet, so I don't know what kind of happened in that book or what locations were revealed. I know in this in this book they talk about Hosnian Prime, which obviously is a planet that we know from the sequel trilogy. So it's a nice nice drop of a planet name there. But now we know that that seemed like a pretty central location as well. Do they talk about Coruscant being the capital? Uh, I mean, Coruscant is still the major system in the Republic. Mm. Um, it is where, you know, uh, the the seat of government for the Republic is. Okay, yeah, so it makes um, sense that if the Jedi are going to start to become more connected to the government um, as time moves forward, that they would end up, you know, being located mainly on Coruscant with the main Jedi Temple being there. So, yeah, I mean, it is going to be cool to find out as these books come out. And it sounds like there's going to be a lot, you know, we're in phase one, but they've already announced that there's going to be like three phases of this High Republic. So they're really, they've kind of put all their, you know, they're, they're all in on this, this storyline. So we're going to get a lot more novels, some that probably haven't even been announced yet, uh, comics and all kinds of stuff. We know Yoda's going to be involved you know, in some way, which I ha- I think he's already appeared in a comic. I haven't read that yet either. Yeah, he's in the first comic. Yeah, so, so I I will say this as a fan and kind of wanting it to be maybe a little bit further back in time. I'm a little disappointed that they're already connecting it to stuff we know. It's like you see Yoda and it's like, okay. You know, I don't know if they felt like they just needed to have at least one familiar face in there. 
for marketing purposes. But it would have been cooler, I think, if this was set even further back in time, like maybe 500 to 1,000 years in the past, um, rather than this close to, to the events we already know. Like basically Knights of the Old Republic kind of Yeah, because I think we already know now that if the Sith showed up in this, that'd be pretty weird because the Jedi have thought the Sith have been gone for a while. Right. So there's not right. really a way that they could show up um, unless unless they show up in a way where whoever runs up against them doesn't survive and live to tell about it. Um, so that is a little disappointing because there is some there would be some hope as a reader like, oh, maybe the Sith are going to show up and fight against the Jedi is something that you would see pretty often in the Old Republic um, stuff that you don't I don't think we'll see in the High Republic. Well, and we 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 hear a little bit about um you know different force users we we hear about the night sisters and and part of that is the connection that Vanestra um reveals to uh, Emery this this uh padawan that you know she's had a force dream one night that encouraged her to uh alter her lightsaber so that it's not only a lightsaber but it's a light whip um, and this, of course, you know, has the connotation for the dark side, you know, um, but I, one of the neat things in there was reminded, you know, and especially with the Jedi's, you know, everything is a tool. And so like how we use that tool is what makes it good or bad. Um, but that was a really interesting connection and something I did not see coming them to bring light whips back. <laughs> yeah, I kind of saw it coming only because I looked at the the uh, illustration in the book before I read it because they do have, for those of you that um, maybe did the audio version of this, I would recommend checking out the print version because there are actually three illustrations inside of the book um, that kind of match the artwork that's on the cover of the book. So you get a good sense of what the characters look like. Um, and you do get an image of her using her light whip in the, in the, those illustrations. So I actually did see that before it happened in the book. As far as, I don't, I'm not a big fan of like weird lightsabers. Like the weirder they get with them, the more I'm kind of like, oh, okay, like a little eye rolling. Sometimes when you just, they come up with these really strange designs for lightsabers. Even like Kylo Ren's I thought was a little extra, although I've gotten used to it. So, you know, a light whip, it's just a weird thing to me. It, to me, it's not even a lightsaber anymore at that, at this point. It's a completely different type of thing uh, that, doesn't feel like the noble Jedi weapon that, you know, that we're used to them carrying. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was an interesting thing. And, and part of it was, and 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 this is one of the things, like, were some of these things that we were learning uh, about the Jedi and their connection and everything. But this is one of those areas where it just felt like we're told that she has, you know, a, a forced dream and she, you know, creates it. Um, but it just seemed like more like we need her to have this. And so we're going to find a way to, to explain why her lightsaber is like this rather than really understanding and working into the story. Like, I don't know. It just seemed a little bit too convenient for me. Um, for her to have had this dream and then she immediately needs it like three days later, which, you know, gosh, it's the force. I get it. Um, but, uh, I don't know. It just, I, w I, there was something in that to me that where I just needed more 
you know. Um, and obviously, this is a book where we see, you know, the Force can do incredible things and the Jedi are not bound by the, the ideas of, like, they're not struggling the way they are in the prequels because the dark side is getting stronger and stronger. You know, here, it's kind of boundless, honestly, what they can do. But to me, you know... Um, Anytime you really add something to the Force in any Star Wars story, I really want it to feel like it's truly earned by that story. So, like, you know, the world between worlds and rebels. It's completely shocking, but it's incredible. Or Mortis, you know, but it doesn't feel so out of left field that I'm kind of left scratching my head as to, like, okay, so how does this work? And and this is one of those places where I was just like, I, I wish there had been more to this part of the story um, because it's a pretty big thing for her to basically have had like the angel of the force came to her and told <laughs> her, angel, you must make a light. Angel whip, appeared you know? to me. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and even the, the connection to the dark side. So I know the other Jedi that was with her and I'm blanking on his name now, uh, Imri. Emery. Emery, yeah. He he was kind of his reaction to seeing the light whip was kind of like, oh wait, that's what dark you know dark side users use that the the night sisters use that, um, and then they kind of say, well, not you know some light side users have used it too back when they were trying to defend against the the Sith using I forget what the exact words were, but they were using some kind of unconventional weapons. Yeah, I think, so basically, yeah, it was. You know, it was interesting that there is a connection to the dark side there that he that was his instant reaction. So maybe they're trying to tip us off as to something, you know, who knows these characters may pop up again in the future. The fact that she got that in that vision maybe wasn't of the light side. You know, there there could be more to come with this story, with her, with that light whip. Um and I kinda hope there is, because it did seem a little a little weird just to kind of throw it in there. Uh, we have seen light whips before in Legends. You know, there was pretty iconic character Lumaya. Um, you know, in the in the Legends books, who was a dark side user who had a light whip. Um, so it's not the first time we've ever seen it in Star Wars literature by any means. Um, but even the way it functioned, like she could, it was almost like she could use it as a whip, but she could also use it as a lightsaber. It wasn't one or the other. Um, the kyber. Yeah, you just flip the switch. She had a pretty advanced kyber crystal, I guess. Uh, that could <laughs> kind of. <laughs> it went to it went to uh you know a master's level school already. You know <laughs> they did talk about. I, I did like the idea of them talking a little bit more about lightsaber construction. They got into that, which was kind of cool. And they did talk about even the way that it's containing the the energy and how that's why it doesn't just go on forever and ever. Um, which I thought was an interesting thing for them to talk about where the Kyber crystal, um, there's like a field or whatever that's kind of containing that en- energy into that beam. So, yeah, I, I think, um, I liked that too. And I thought that was interesting because obviously one of the things we learn is, you know, Emery has really been struggling with the connection to his lightsaber and it really working properly. And I, I kind of enjoyed that whole idea of, you know, for a lightsaber to work well, it's almost kind of Harry Potterish in some ways. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the wand chooses the wizard and how well a wand works for you has to do with the connection that the wand has with that person. And so the the lightsaber and the, and the kyber crystal are very much the same thing. And, and we've seen, you know, from 
the Clone Wars, when the Padawans were creating their lightsaber, uh, lightsabers, the process of bringing it together is something that is very Force-driven. You know, it is, you're in tune with the Force, and all of the pieces come together, and they create this uh, Force connection with the crystal and with you and with the saber itself. Um, and so there's something much more organic to it than it just being this, you know, uh, piece of machinery. Uh, and I, I, I like that too. I thought that was really neat to be able to see where like Emery's struggle, um, and kind of where we see where he brushes with the dark side and his, um, his jealousy that he kind of has the losing of his master, all of this kind of really gets to, you know, him having a weapon that's just not working for him. Uh, and I thought that was a, a nice way to kind of uh, show how important that connection between the Force and the crystal and the saber all is, you know, with the Jedi himself. Interesting that when he was having issues with the saber, but then he did have his little dabble with the dark side, and that's when his saber was the strongest. They they had mentioned that he had kind of his saber seemed to be at full strength when he was fighting against against her, which is kind of like hmm counterintuitive a little bit that if the kyber crystal was in tune with the force and he was a light side user that it would actually be stronger when he's tapping into the dark side. So that's that's for people to debate, I guess, as to what that means. Uh, also, he did make us he he made a comment. It was an internal dialogue, I think, in his head where he was talking, he was thinking about the dark side and then he, he makes the comment about how the dark side needs to exist for the balance to be there. And that's always something that people have debated for since the beginning of Star Wars time <laughs> of what is balance? What does that even mean? Um, but he definitely seems to believe that dark does need to exist in order for there to be balance. Whereas I know others have said that the dark needs to be destroyed for there to be balance so i don't know if that's different philosophies of different masters or different philosophies of different writers yeah i think that's one thing that um you know i'm going to be interested in and kind of this side as we're talking about the jedi one of the things that i think um in this series you know when you're when you're doing these things and when you're telling these stories you know that the question has to be like why why are we telling this story you know and, and and the why and then what we do with the force there has to be a really deep understanding when we're playing with force stuff you know um and and so that's something that i'm going to be i i will say personally i'm just going to be kind of hypercritical on uh, as i move through this series is really paying attention to okay why are we doing this in the story and does it really seem like we're doing it for the right reasons you know uh, or is it just because it's convenient because there are a few times in this book i kind of got a little annoyed with them seeing them use the force for everything you know like they're holding leaves over their heads when it's raining and just things like that where it was just like it seems like uh the force is almost just becoming this thing we can do anything with and and like you don't want it to to become mundane like, and I get we're in the heyday of the Jedi, but I still want it to feel like special. And this could be, you know, intentional showing the, the times, the sign of the times and what's to come. And the Jedi are getting too arrogant. You know, they're starting to take the force for granted. 
And I know I keep bringing up legends and I honestly, I don't do this that often, even in my own podcast, but for whatever reason, because of the subject matter, it seems like we're touching on old legend stuff. But I remember in the new, I forget the name of the series, maybe it was New Jedi Order, um, where kind of Luke's New Jedi, a lot of them were doing that kind of thing where they were using the force kind of fr- frivolously. And there was one scene I can remember where a Jedi was using the force to basically put it like a tiny little force field around himself whenever it rained. I think it was Ganner Rizzotti. Did you read those books? The New Jedi Order stuff? But Oh, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I just remember, for whatever reason, when I was reading this book and they were floating leaves over their heads to block the rain, I thought of that scene from the old New Jedi Order where... You know, there were Jedi that were doing that and other Jedi were kind of saying, hey, you shouldn't be using the force just to block the rain. You know, that seems like a a waste of, you know, what the force is really meant for. Now, in this book, let's let's remember the rain was acid. So there was a little bit more of a practical reason why they were blocking the rain. It wasn't just to stop from getting wet. It was to stop from getting burned. But, I, yeah, I can definitely see um, what you're saying. Yeah, and I think I think you do have a good point. And and it could be the the. the thought process, and this will be interesting as we move through the other books. You know, it are is that what they're going for? Is that we're we're are we turning the corner here to show how the Jedi go from this to, you know, uh, the prequel era? And you know, two hundred years really isn't all that much time. I mean, you think about the age of, like, say, the United States. You know, it's that time period, right? You know that, so. We, we, we have an idea of what history looks like between that amount of time. So that that's going to be fascinating to me kind of see. And, you know, it, on the good side of that, you know, we did see how, you know, different Jedi have different gifts. You know, um, Vanestra is very young. She's already a knight at 16. But she also reminds herself she needs to learn how to do the restoration meditation much better. You can say that three times fast. Um uh, because she's not very good at it. You know, she needs more practice at it. Like Emery, he's, Emery is more in tune with life forces of others and he's really empathetic, but also like, apparently he's a somebody who is good at wayfinding, which is something we kind of only have seen in, you know, um, the sequel trilogy, the idea of the wayfinders. Mm, that's right. Uh, and then we've seen a little bit of that with the, the force and, and moving through space, uh, of course, in the Thrawn trilogy with the Skywalkers and the, and the Chiss. So, I mean, there are some really interesting things here where I think they can, you know, the way, give us a picture of what these Jedi are like in this time yeah, period. Yeah, the way they described wayfinding, too, was it definitely, although they use the same term, wayfinder, it felt a lot different than, you know, whereas the Wayfinder that was in the sequel trilogy felt like it was just kind of a map to find a place. Mm-hmm. This was much more him using the Force to search for life, you know, and try to find, um, you know, planets that had life on them. It almost felt more like Wayfinding in Moana as opposed to any yeah. any Wayfinding that we've seen in Star yeah. Wars. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a really, uh, that's a good way to put it at, yeah. Um, Moana is a Jedi. So. Yeah, she, of course she is. <laughs> uh, it was interesting too, you know, we have the, the conversation between Vanestra and one of the Jedi masters at the end where, you know, they're talking about Emery and his, his, uh, you know, 
temptation and, and fall to the dark side in this book for a while. And I really loved what this master said because they said, you know, being a Jedi is about choosing the light over and over again. And, you know, I, I think, you know, to me, that's that's definitely, I, I would say, a, a really spiritual thing to say because, you know, if you're a believer in anything, you do have to continually choose to believe in something over and over again, especially when it gets difficult. And so kind of uh, seeing the... Um, the way that Ireland is able to use that in the book, uh, you know, it reflects on our world, but I mean, I think it's really true. You know, we have to continue to make the choice to choose what is right and what is good over and over and over again. Like, it's it's not a choice that ever ends as, you know, the choice to, to choose what is, you know, light out over darkness. So I, I thought that was really strong, you know, and, and especially since this is a... Uh, you know, a book for younger children. It, it's a it's a middle grade book. I thought that's a place where this really works. Is that you know the the thematic elements like that were coming across pretty well. There's actually a quote. I I can't remember what exactly it is. It just popped into my head now when you said that choosing the light. But I believe it's Qui Gon Jinn or or somebody that was talking to Qui Gon Jinn in Master and Apprentice. Where he talks about yes, it absolutely is. You're right about choosing the light, and I, I wish I could remember yep. the exact quote. I'm sure we could find it quickly if we wanted to look it up, but probably not a good use of our time on the podcast. But uh, yeah, that made me think of that instantly when you said that. I was like, oh yeah, and that that reminds me of Qui Gon, and you know he is he's probably a representative of you know a bit of the remnants of the of the High Republic era. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point too. Yeah, absolutely. That I remember reading that book and that quote was was phenomenal and I thought it was is one of those uh things where it just felt really special, you know. Um and yeah. Claudia uh, Gray, right? And and she yep, she's right she's Gray. writing in this series so, too. Um and in fact, uh, the quote, quote was, um, we don't choose the light because we want to win. We choose the light because it is the there light. There you go. Nice. Yeah. So impressive. Uh, I'd put that impressive in my speed on looking that stood one up. out. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, one of the things that I also kind of found fascinating of learning about the Jedi is that, you know, um, because of the cosmic force uh, and, the, and the living force, that as you are meditating – Jedi must be conscious of their their bodies, basically, because that connection is what they need so they don't get lost in it and then basically wither away and die because they've gotten so lost in the cosmic force that they aren't. So they they need to be in tune with their physical needs, uh, even though, you know, Yoda says, and even the quote was, you know, spending too much time in the force could feel luminous, but bodies were crude matter and needed care and feeding. And I just thought that was a really great way of just kind of, again, explaining these like mystical things in a way that really makes sense um, to kids. Uh, so that was, I, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And you've said a couple of times it's, it's meant for younger readers and that's absolutely true. The, the, and that's something that I like about these books, but also sometimes don't like, you know, I'm not the target audience for this book. So some of it, as you're reading through it, it, it comes across as um, very simplistic, you know, a very straightforward storyline, uh, not a lot of complex plot points. 
it's just really kind of an easy read and something that I would, you know, read with my son, which is really awesome to have that option. Um, intriguing characters, but definitely not going to be kind of that real, you know, kind of dark or deep um, Star Wars novel that some readers may want. So like, that's something to keep in mind for people that might be thinking about picking up this series is there's going to be some books that are, you know, Del Rey and kind of adult novels. And then there's other ones that are definitely geared more toward younger readers. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? It's funny because, you know, even some of those books, like those middle grade books have been some of the the best books to me, like Weapon of the Jedi. Uh, I think it was Jason Fry, that story he did with Luke. I thought was great. Um, you know, uh, we both, I think, liked uh, – Chewbacca and the Force yeah, of Fear, the Mighty Chewbacca. You know, yeah. uh, that's 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 a great book. Yeah, that was the one I was yeah. going to use as an example for sure. Yeah. So I, I mean, and I think like any of these stories, it it just which one touches you? You know, where does it you know, really play out? And some of them are going to work better than others. But you know, uh, this one had at least for us. I mean, we were just talking for like thirty minutes about <laughs> all, all this Jedi interesting stuff. little tidbits about the Jedi. So. That's that's pretty cool. Um, so we have an inventor in this book. Uh, her name is Avon, and she's the daughter of a Republic senator. Uh, and she's been sent to this port uh, that we meet Venestra and then uh, Emery and his master at, uh, and this uh, Dallin um, uh, delegation. Um, and they're all traveling to uh, the new star base. You know, they're going to the dedication. Um, and what did you think of her as a character here? Because obviously she's, you know, uh, next to Vanestra and Emery, and then this uh, Dallin uh, young boy named Honesty, she's the other main character. Yeah, so Avon is probably the most interesting non-Force user character in this book. Uh, maybe the most interesting character, if I'm being honest. She, she has a big personality, and she, you know, she's... She's very intelligent, but also kind of rude <laughs> and a troublemaker gets into gets into trouble. And I, I liked her a lot. And the fact that she is, you know, related to, I guess, um, uh, the Staros that we already know that's coming in the comics, you know, in the future, I think is kind of an interesting choice. But I, some people don't like that. P people don't like when Star Wars connects these people and like everybody's related to somebody kind of thing. I actually like it. I like that there's these family connections all throughout Star Wars. So the fact that we've heard her name before, um, and we, and we know that she's related to, um, Santa, is it Santa Staros? I'm blanking on the name now. Uh, so that, yeah, I think that's kind of cool. And she actually looked like when you look at the picture of her, she looks a lot like her too. Yeah. And, well, it's interesting to find out that the <laughs> Santa Staros is, um, you know, ancestors were like respectable. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so at some point, uh, well, but you can see kind of how they start to maybe divert from that with uh, with Avon. Yeah. Well, and, and it was really interesting to me, too, because as a character, she is somebody who and, and this book does a lot of mirrors for each other. You know, so you have Emery, who is very. Uh, emotionally driven, and, and he's very in touch empathetically. Uh, and then you have Avon, who's on the other side of that, who's completely scientific. She has a scientific mind. She's always wondering, you know, how things go together. It even kind of explains the idea that, like, she just burns to know how things work. 
Uh, and so she is, I would say, much more um, straightforward and kind of rude, like you were saying sometimes, to people because she doesn't – she's not really in touch with her feelings and she's not touched with other people's feelings, you know. Um, but she's a tech genius and – the one thing I was really interested in this because I, I'm like, oh man, I see problems coming with this. Is she's obsessed with kyber crystals and understanding them, and her unbridled passion for invention seems like it could be a problem if it's never put in a check. Right. And I hope that this isn't just a one off for these characters, uh, for these four characters. I, I guess five if you're including the droid. Um, but I I hope that some of the things that they're establishing with these characters we see later on. You know, why does she care so much about Kyber Crystal? She does I think is at the end of the book, doesn't she doesn't she snatch up she some lightsaber parts? Lightsaber okay. that wasn't working well for him anymore. Right. Because because nobody will be looking for it. Right, yeah. Well, didn't it get it got cut in half, right? So maybe she just assumed he was gonna discard it and he was going to get a new one. I don't know. But yeah, so, you know, she's she's taken some lightsaber parts. She's obsessed with kyber crystals. Who knows where this is going? Maybe it doesn't mean anything. Maybe she becomes, you know, an inventor and invents some, side of, and some sort of weapon in the future that, you know, can be a precursor to what we see. The Death Star. Yeah, like what they do with kyber crystals. You know, we know kyber crystals are used for lightsabers, but they're also used for creating super weapons. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and it, what was really interesting to me, too, is because, you know, for her, she's the character who, you know, she's all about her science and she's she kind of gets tired of hearing about the force. And it was a good reminder here, too, you know, that just because the Jedi use the force, they're not like science and the force aren't at odds. Like, you know, like uh, and it was an interesting kind of like um, religion and science type of idea. It's like they're linked together. It's it's not as though one is better than the other or, or that they're fighting. And, and so I, I that was an interesting theme to kind of get into since, you know, she's completely on the science side. And, of course, the Jedi are um, uh, one with the Force. And yet, you know, it's not like Jedi are above using science to do stuff. Yeah, I mean, the lightsaber itself is technology blended with, you know, mm-hmm. sentient Force crystal right so yeah it's the yeah. lightsaber is the perfect example of the blending of of the two one of the nice themes you know that i thought of in the book was just how you know we all have our thing and so many of the characters in here uh, are kind of dealing with comparing themselves to others uh and and the struggle of comparison um because they're not quite as good at at other things um, as, you know, at, when they look at, you know, like Emery, he looks at the fact that, you know, Vanessa is already a Jedi Knight, but he's nowhere close yet. And he, he has this jealousy and, you know, um, so I really like that. I just thought, you know, if I had a kid, like this is the type of storytelling and the type of um, moralized storytelling we want Star Wars to be telling. That's really in kind of in line with you know, why George created Star Wars in the first place. So that was a great theme, I thought. And Emery was really struggling with the jealousy throughout the book, but not in a not in such a way that he ever let it really overtake him. When he did, what he really let overtake him was the grief of losing his master, which let's, let's just point out, 
one of the funniest names, I think. His his name is Douglas. Like, it just doesn't sound like a Star Wars name to me, Douglas. So when, when he's like, Master Douglas, I'm like, oh, did they forget to replace the name? Like, somebody, they put that in a plate as a placeholder when they wrote the book and they forgot to Star Warsize <laughs> it. But yeah, so there is a. Because it sounds more like a British butler. Yeah, it just sounds like a guy. It, you know, <laughs> like if there was a Jedi Steve, you know, it's like Jedi Douglas, like Jedi. Jedi Steve. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we'll get that out of the way. But I thought that was a funny name. But yeah, so he doesn't really let the jealousy overtake him more than the grief of losing his master is really what ultimately has him touch the dark side. But once he does touch the dark side, it does the the jealousy issue does come back up. Um, and I was kind of hoping that the the whole scene where they fought each other, I kind of wish that lasted a little longer or maybe meant a little more. Um, I would have absolutely loved it if he just kind of disappeared, you know, kind of went to the dark side and then. And then just left, you know, and then they don't know what happened to him. And maybe he's out there still kind of struggling with, you know, with the dark side calling to him. I think that would have been interesting. Maybe that's something they would have done in an adult novel. But uh, in the in this novel, they just had kind of a little little lightsaber battle for a couple seconds and then it ended and then he was fine. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. It would have been interesting if there had been a little bit more nuance to that. And, um, you know, to 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 jump off of that theme you know another one i thought was really interesting is what we kind of see is all of these kids because they're all you know uh anywhere from 16 to a little bit younger you know they're all kind of struggling with the idea of what it means to grow up you know and they're pushing against the experience of their mentors like you know honesty is pushing against his dad you know you see emory struggling with his master Douglas um, and, and and trying to understand what he's trying to teach him. Uh, Vanestra struggling with that, you know, she's transitioning from basically being a kid to being an adult, you know, um, and, and what all that looks like. And I just thought that was really cool. And, and what we kind of see and I thought was great in the story is like we all need wise mentors, you know, like every one of these kids needs somebody to be there patiently um, telling them what they need to hear, whether they want to hear it or not. And uh, we see a lot of these characters be that for one another, you know, and then we end the book kind of with the thought process that it looks like Finestra will probably be Emery's master going forward, which that should be interesting since they're so close in age. <laughs> yeah. That is, yeah, I thought that at the end too. I'm like, uh, I don't know if that's the best idea, but okay. Um, but maybe that Jedi Master saw something that made him think that that would be mm-hmm. the way to go with it. Um, and I forget, I mean, how how big of an age difference is it? Is it? I mean, aren't they pretty much the same age? I can't remember. I feel like he was like 14 or 15. Okay. You know, like he's not that much younger. So it just seems like. Um, you know, Emery probably needs an older master, one that I it seems like there could be other problems that come up with that the whole relationship. Well, you know, yeah, that's true. That maybe the game. yeah, maybe so. the next one will be a YA novel, and they'll have a, a little yeah, a little love triangle or something. <laughs> okay. Um. Well, enough of that, Aaron. Let's talk about um J six our uh, our droid for the book, Avon's droid who. Basically, was our L three plant. Huh. I could see that. Yeah, L three ish with guns in her torso. But mm-hmm. J- yeah, J six was an enjoyable character. 
the, it's hard for them to kind of come up with unique droids anymore. I think they've done it. Yeah. They've done it all. There's been every kind of version of a droid that I think we could ever have in, you know, especially if you're talking not just the movies, but you know, comics, novels, it's really hard for them to come up with something that's unique. So I think she did feel like you'd seen her before. Um, kind of a blend between maybe L3 and C3PO. But I did like, I guess the twist on this droid was the fact that the modifications that were going on was kind of funny to see her coming into this self-realization or kind of uh, a little bit of sentience or freedom that maybe most droids don't enjoy. And the fact that Avon had it wasn't even sure, you know, she had made these changes to her droid, but she wasn't even sure what the changes were going to cause. So I, I thought that was a nice little twist that we hadn't really seen really with droids before. <laughs> well, my favorite part was that at the very end of the book, too, after all these changes have taken place, the quote was, she was going to have to calibrate J6's programming just a bit when they got back to civilization. Not enough to make her like she used to be, but definitely enough to make sure she didn't get too blasty at the wrong moment. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, it is funny because, you know, she had this desire to kind of see what would happen if she allowed her droid to be able to basically have the freedom to create her own personality in much the same way we see L3 right. have done. And this is kind of the precursor to that. And and realizing that maybe there is um, a good idea to have like limitations on what we become and I, I just thought of this. It's an interesting theme, though. But, you know, in and of ourselves, should we just be anything we could be? Or should we also put limitations on ourselves in a good way? Should there be boundaries to which we want to, to have in our lives that, you know, keep us safe and keep others safe, but also are just better in general? I don't know. You're getting too philosophical for me. I definitely sorry about. I that. definitely didn't think that deeply when I was th- thinking about this droid. But well, I wasn't until we started talking about <laughs> it, and you got me thinking, Aaron. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a funny droid, but yeah, it. Yeah, I I had no problem with it. I, I think it was it was cute. So, um, well, so the Nile are the characters to which the Jedi are going to be kind of going up against in this, this series in general. Um, and so I kind of wondered, you know, since this is your first experience with them, um, what did you think of them and their plan and, and why they're doing what they're trying to do is specifically, you know, in this book. So the idea of the Nile being the foil for Jedi is interesting to me. Because they just seem like pirates. And like I said, I didn't read Light of the Jedi, so maybe we learn a little bit more about them and kind of why they can actually be a threat to the Jedi. But when I think of a band of pirates, I'm not thinking of them as a big threat to the Jedi. You know, So what is special about them? What makes them so dangerous? Maybe it's their numbers. I don't know. The, but the ones that we run across in this book absolutely do not feel threatening. Um, they're kind of this just... Two, two of them, they seem like low-level people in the, in the organization. So, so, so far, I haven't gotten enough information about the Nile to really understand kind of how they could be the big bad for this whole series. I mean, to me, and 
here in this book, at least, if if this is all we're going on, you know, their plan of of trying to keep the Republic from moving to the Outer Rim, because that's their territory, basically, uh, and wanting to do everything to keep people uh, like the Dalin uh, from joining the Republic, you know, makes sense. Again, you, you, you don't want a big Republic presence out on the Outer Rim. Uh, also make sure, you know, the fact that Starlight Beacon... They wouldn't be happy about that either, you know, because, again, the Jedi and the the, the morality and the, the government of the Republic is encroaching on their space. So all that makes really, really interesting to me. But, I mean, I, you know, knowing what I know from Light of the Jedi, I mean, there are some interesting aspects to them that make them interesting foes. But I'm still kind of on the side that you are, even with that information of saying, okay, We've got to, and and I know something else is coming, which you know that like force based plant things. So oh, yeah. I mean, that'll be interesting. I ha- I um, briefly came yeah. across that, and and I I'm not going to say I was excited about the idea, uh, same but here. I don't know. So we'll I don't know what that's going to see be how about. that goes. <laughs> but I so I had a question for you though. So this idea with this plan that they have. But I was really okay. We have this station that's opening. It was Star Starlight Beacon is opening up there in the outer rim, and the idea is that it's you know going to spread light of the Republic to the outer rim. So to me, though, it's like when they open a Starbucks like we, in a town that hasn't seen a Starbucks before. You know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you got to have the 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 Starlight Coffee is the best. Um, so make that. T-shirt. But what I was w- wondering is. Yeah, somebody is going to probably create a podcast called Starlight Coffee, um, and it's going to be all about this series, but I'm trademarking that, so yeah. So we have all this expansion of the Republic, and yet by the 200 years later, the Republic is, like, the, the Outer Rim is still the Outer Rim we know. There's, like, and the Jedi seem to have, like, pulled back further and further from having real true influence around the galaxy it's like what in the heck is going to happen in this series to make that happen yeah that's true that's a i guess i hadn't thought about that and i don't know that i felt like the jedi weren't didn't have a presence in the outer rim i guess i always kind of assumed that because there were so many jedi and there were some that were in coruscant but then the rest of them were almost like in pairs of two, you know, kind of out in the galaxy, kind of keeping order. And so I just assume that some were out in the outer rim, some are, you know, wherever. But so I guess I hadn't really thought about the fact that maybe they had kind of tried something, tried to go out that direction, something bad happens, and then they recoil. And maybe that's why they end up, you know, kind of hold up in Coruscant. But there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to learn on what's going to happen. And the and the reason I was thinking of that question was just... When we look at the Phantom Menace, you know, we, we clearly see um, the Jedi have no presence in the Outer Rim, really. I mean, even, um, you know, uh, Shmi talks about, you know, the Republic doesn't exist out here. You know, so... I like, just assumed that was like talking this... about the planet and not the whole region. But, yeah, I, I can right. totally right. But, see I mean, I... Mean. I, I just kind of get the feeling like even and even when they go to Tatooine, it's a region that's controlled by the Huts. Mm-hmm. You know, like again, this is a place where we don't see a lot of of place for. Uh, anyway, 
all that to say, I'm just it seems like it's going to be really fascinating to see what they do with this series because, as you kind of mentioned before, and this is something that, it, and I, I I consider this right now to be slight detriment. It seems like a lot is happening in this series that is going to quote unquote change very quickly. But then again, I put in my brain like, you know, 200 years ago, the United States and our way of life was very different. So, yeah, absolutely. Completely. And it is true to think you think 200 years doesn't sound like a lot, a lot of time. And it isn't a lot of time in the grand scheme of things, but a lot can change in 200 years. And, you know, we this seems like a futuristic, you know, it's a futuristic esque story, although it's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. The the technology is futuristic. So you almost kind of wonder, well, how much can really change? You know, they already have spaceships and lightsabers and all this like futuristic technology. But events wise, um, a lot can happen in 200 years. And I don't know that we know exactly. Do we have a timestamp on when these stories happen? I know they happen in the era, and the era is about 200 mm-hmm. years, but do we know where this falls in that era? You know, how far? Um, my my suspicion was, you know, I had read that these take place 200 years before The Phantom Menace. Okay. Okay, so, so yeah. we're in lots of time. that time period. So, yeah, and that's... Yeah. A, Still, I mean, lots of time. And we know the other thing, too, is the... Um, the movie, or is it a series that they're working on called Acolyte? That's going to be mm-hmm. a Disney Plus thing, I believe. Is supposed to, yeah, and it's something that isn't it supposed to take place kind of at the closing be, of yeah, this it's supposed era? to be set at the end of the the High Republic era. So it'll, it'll be interesting to see where that falls in because that's definitely implying mm-hmm. you know dark side Acolyte, right? So yeah, I do wonder if maybe these Nihil guys and gals are maybe the first thing that we, that they come up against. And maybe there's some more other things to come that might be more threatening, or maybe they team up with, or maybe somebody's pulling the strings behind the scenes. You know, maybe there is a dark side influence that's pulling the strings Mm -hmm. of some of these villains. Dark side plant creatures. Hopefully not them, but I don't know. Did it say they're force users? Uh, I don't think that, that they're, I didn't get the sense that they're like force users, but they're connected with the dark side somehow. It's, the only it's gonna be like swamp thing aliens, yeah. isn't it? Or, or poison ivy. There you go. There you go. No, that's and it's what I've always wanted in Star Wars. <laughs> right. So, um, so for you, where would you put this on a rating scale? Of maybe like one to five. Uh, a test of courage. I think I gave it three on Goodreads because uh, Goodreads, I like how Goodreads is very specific about what your stars mean. You know, when you hover over the star before you click it, it tells you what it means. And in three stars means I liked it. Um, I believe four stars is I loved it. And then five stars would be, it was like amazing. So I would put this at, a, I liked it. I liked it, but it wasn't, I didn't love it. And it wasn't amazing. <laughs> so so three, I'll put it at a solid three out of five stars. Man, I, I mean, we're we're right uh, on target there uh, together. I, I definitely put this at a three. Um, and, uh, you know, I would say, and I, I, I'm not sure about the High Republic yet. Um, after having read the first two books in the sense that I don't know if I truly 
like how they're going about this where there's so much content coming at you so quickly uh, and there doesn't seem to be a specific focus on a, a smaller set of characters that would really introduce this world to us. So we kind of start off at a smaller base and then can grow out from there. So I don't know, um, but I'm I'm going to be interested to see how this progresses with, you know, comics and, and books and young books and all of these things coming out, you know, very quickly, how this all starts to connect and like tell this overarching story so i haven't seen anything yet that's like a red flag to me when i read this one i read a little bit of uh light of the jedi just the first few chapters and so far everything i've seen images i've seen of the characters there's nothing that's standing out to me like oh i don't think i'm gonna like that other than the the plant-based aliens i don't know what that's about that's that's the first thing that's come up where i'm like oh i don't know what that's if i'm gonna like that but so far, I, I like it. And I, I honestly, this book, when I say three stars, it's probably unfair a little bit because I'm I'm not a kid, you know. So I think if I was a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old reading this book, I might say five stars. My son, you know, I was reading it with him the first few chapters and he seemed like enthralled by it. So I think um, for an adult reader, three stars. But for a young reader, this could be way more entertaining and it's good that they're giving us these options because you know we even have even in the comics we have the regular marvel comics but then we also have the star wars adventures comics which are definitely made for a younger audience too so i i'm excited about high republic even though i've only read the one thing just because i love the idea of there being this kind of overarching story that all these different things are connecting into that really hasn't happened in star wars at, to this level with the new canon and the, the, to have this concerted effort to really connect it. And the, the fact that they're already like announcing phase two and phase three, like they're really all in on this. And so I'm excited about where they're going to go with it. Yeah. I think the thing I'm really, really interested in is to see how it goes, you know, and you know, first two things have come out now. And, and so I'm going to be fascinated to see, you know, whether or not um, it, it continues uh, to go well. Um, I will say this though, um, the red flag and just for me that's come up is that they're already announcing these different phases. Mm. And to me, it seems like you're putting the cart before the horse of saying that, um, we already have all of these plans, but we haven't really seen if this is successful yet. Uh, kind of like they did with the star Wars so, standalone movies. <laughs> yeah, or or even just um, you know, you look at any uh of the franchises that have been supposed to come out, you know, in movie theaters, but then like just fizzled because the first movie wasn't great, you know, and you know they had announced, oh, we're doing this new connected universe with uh, Universal monster movies, and then you know you really don't have you know, so. To me, that's just something that I'm like a little bit worried about. Um, are they trying to do too much too fast without really setting a good foundation? So, um, the first two books I th- I think are a decent foundation, but I I would say having read both of them now, this is it's not exactly the best foundation. Like it it's it's not like I was bowled over. To the point of like, oh my gosh, you know. Um, so 
I guess we'll see. I, as uh, Avon would say, you know, hold on to your butts. <laughs> they can take this risk, I think, more so in the literature world than they would in a, f- a movie or TV world. So if you announce, you know, six or seven High Republic films, and you know, that might be a little bit cart before the horse. But when it comes to the literature world, they definitely can take a little bit more risks with this stuff. And I don't think it's going to bomb. You put Star Wars on the cover of a book, it tends to be a bestseller. You know, and we, there's been bestsellers that we didn't even like. You know, you and I personally, there's been some books that we just absolutely did not like. But they were still New York Times bestsellers because they're Star Wars books. So I think I like that they're they're kind of going a different route with this. I like the fact that I'm picking up the book and it doesn't have Luke Skywalker on the cover. It doesn't have Darth Vader on the cover. It doesn't have Grand Admiral Thrawn on the cover. My goodness, we have enough books of that guy. So I'm just... Hey, you I know, I was <laughs> Trying to get a rise out of you there. But yeah, so I, I like these fresh faces. I like that we're learning about a new era. And, I, and I'm i going to give them a little bit of leeway on this, even though maybe you know I've only read the one book. Um, and I, like I said, it didn't blow me away, but I like what they're doing and I'm definitely going to kind of get on the, get on the bandwagon with them. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to be ex- interested to see where it goes as well. So, uh, Aaron, you know, if people want to catch up with you, uh, and see what else you have going on, where can they find you? Uh, you can find me mainly my online presence is through my podcasting. So you can find me at star Wars bookworms. Um, uh, that's a podcast I do with Teresa Delgado where we talk about, the uh, the new Star Wars books that are coming out. I think our last one we did was an episode reviewing um, from a certain point of view, Empire Strikes Back. We picked our favorite stories from that and kind of talked through them. So, and I also do a Doctor Who podcast called uh, Bad Wolf Radio, which uh, we just did our review of the Revolution of the Daleks New Year's special. So, if you're into Doctor Who, uh, check that one out. I do that with my co-host Adam Farmer. Awesome, man. And um, yeah, I as of this recording, uh, I have yet to get a chance to watch it. I've got it recorded and I just need to sit down and, and, and watch it. So I'm going to be really interested to see what happens and then listen to you guys talk about it. So, um, of course, you could find me all over the place, uh, Matt Rushing 2 on social media. Uh, and then, of course, you can find me here on the network doing uh, – the Orb, uh, as well as Literary Treks with Chris Jones, both of those. Uh, Orb is about uh, Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Literary Treks is the book, it's the books and the comics of Star Trek. And then, of course, look for Snyder Cuts, which is coming uh, uh, here on this same feed with John Mills, as we are going to be looking at all of the directorial works of Zack Snyder as we uh, lead up to, of course, the, uh, the release of Zack Snyder's Justice League, as well as... Of course, uh, his Army of the Dead coming out this year. Uh, and then uh, you could find me over on the Nerd Party Network doing two shows. One is called Owl Post. That's with Drea Kaufman as we're talking about every chapter of the Harry Potter series. One chapter at a time. We're legitimately almost done. So uh, it's been so much fun, but uh, we're getting there. And then I'm doing uh, also with John Mills, Aggressive Negotiations, which is a Star Wars podcast. And every week we're talking about a new Star Wars topic. But guys, thank you. But y'all, thank you so much for joining us. And may the Force be with you. (laughs) ¶¶